from the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. How am I doing? Open Line. If you'd like to be part of the program, pick up the phone and give us a call. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is one 205 Two seven one two nine eight five, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. You can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams. Charles Beery, our celebrity producer today. Your call screener is Michael McC- Michael McCall. How am I doing? Can we start over, please? Jack, have you had your coffee yet today? The call screener, the call screener is uh, is Matt Kubensky and Jeff Burson, magnificent person handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is he is every Tuesday, but not always in the studio. He's thrown off my groove. And uh, Father Wade Menezes, uh, our favorite Father of Mercy, is live in the studio with us today. Therefore, I could not do the show in my pajamas like I normally do. I actually had to get dressed to come in to do the show today. Uh, but we're thrilled to have you live in studio. Well, it is great to be here with the Open Line Tuesday team. And I yes, Charles, thanks for filling in today for Michael McCall. Uh, and uh, it is good to be here. I, I'm sorry I threw your game off there these, fir- <laughs> these first few minutes. Yeah, I don't need any help throwing my game off. <laughs> that's, that's just the fact of the matter. But so, uh, I happen to be passing through town here, and uh, so I thought I'd come in today, and it's great to be back here in the studio. So, so. you're going to talk about the priesthood. Yes, I so am. So you had to give an in-person witness <laughs> yeah, right. to the priesthood. Yeah, two priesthoods. How about that? And before anybody thinks that's a heresy, it is not. I'll give you a big hint here. We hear it the words... The words of the priest at every Mass, right after the offertory of the bread and wine, I say bread and wine because it's not the consecration yet at this point. We hear the celebrants say, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours, laity, may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Now, who can offer a sacrifice but a priest, right? So what is this two priesthoods doctrine about? Well, in Catholic theology, all the baptized faithful participate in the one priesthood of Jesus Christ in either or both of two ways. The baptismal priesthood, also referred to as the common priesthood of all the faithful or all the baptized, and which is received through the sacrament of baptism. For example, Jack, you and I both have that common priesthood of all the baptized, the baptismal priesthood. And secondarily, the ministerial priesthood, also called the hierarchical priesthood, which is received only through the sacrament of holy orders, which I alone have, Jack, and you do not have, unless you've kept a secret from me and Johnette, which I would be the first one to tell her if that was the case. (laughs) So, unfortunately, 
uh, these two kind of get convoluted, and, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. But based solidly on sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium, church teaching on this topic is very clear. For example, 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his own marvelous light. So the ministerial priesthood of bishops and priests and the baptismal priesthood of all the baptized faithful participate each in its own proper way in the one priesthood of Jesus Christ. While being ordered one to the other, they differ essentially in their essence. In what essence, what sense is that that they differ? Well, the baptismal priesthood of the faithful is exercised by the unfolding of baptismal grace, and the ministerial priesthood is at the service of the baptismal priesthood. It is directed at the unfolding of the baptismal grace of all Christians. As Catholics, we hold that the ministerial priesthood, through the power of the laying on of hands from a bishop who is a direct descendant of the apostles, is a means by which Christ unceasingly builds up and leads his church in its baptismal priesthood of all the faithful. This is why the ministerial priesthood has its own sacrament, that of the sacrament of holy orders, and through the sacraments of baptism and confirmation, the faithful exercise their baptismal priesthood, each according to his or her own vocation and state in life, through their participation in Christ's own mission as priest, prophet, and king, as the Catechism tells us in paragraph numbers 901 through 911, and also in number 897. And of course, the whole and entire sacramental economy of the church is bound up with this reality of these two priesthoods. Uh, the church celebrates the sacraments as a priestly community structured by the baptismal priesthood and the priesthood of the ordained minister. In other words, the ministerial priesthood. So this is why when we hear the priest say at Mass, right after the offertory of the bread and wine, before the Eucharistic prayer, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice as a ministerial priest and yours as a baptismal priest may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. This is why, for example, it's important to come to Mass a few minutes early to not only recollect yourself for that particular liturgy, but to make a particular willed intention with a firm and deliberate act of your will as to what it is you wish to offer this particular Mass for in union with the priest celebrant's primary intention for that particular Mass. Place your intention on the patent with the bread. Uh, place your intention, or intentions in the plural, uh, in the chalice with the wine, uh, for the consecration of the bread and wine into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, know your faith, live your faith, uh, share your faith, uh, defend your faith. And uh, this, this doctrine of the baptismal priesthood and the ministerial priesthood can really help feed uh, one's personal spirituality when it comes to the sacred liturgy. Now, unfortunately, these two uh, distinct participations in Christ's one priesthood as priest, prophet, and king often, Jack, uh, can become convoluted. For example, at the parish level, duties strictly intended for the priest are sometimes assumed by the laity, and those strictly intended for the laity are often assumed by the priest. And this blurring of participatory distinction, we can call it, can lead to, to those phenomena referred to as the clericalization of the laity and the laicization of the clergy. And so we want to be careful of that. So there you have it, a, a beautiful doctrine on the baptismal priesthood made possible through the sacrament of baptism per se, which, which the baptismal priesthood is not a sacrament per se, but it's made possible through the 
sacrament of baptism per se, and the ministerial priesthood, which is a sacrament, it's the sacrament of holy orders. So the two priesthoods, baptismal priesthood and ministerial priesthood, they differ in kind, but they both share each in its own way in the threefold office of Jesus Christ as priest, prophet, and king. Uh, I love this quote from St. Peter Chrysologus. He says, listen now to what the Apostle Paul urges us to do. I appeal to you, he says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. By this exhortation of his, Paul has raised all men to priestly status. How marvelous is the priesthood of the Christian, for he is both the victim that is offered on his own behalf and the priest who makes the offering. He does not need to go beyond himself to seek what he is to immolate to God. With himself and in himself, he brings the sacrifice he is to offer God for himself. The victim remains and the priest remains, always one and the same. Immolated, the victim still lives. The priest who immolates cannot kill. Truly, it is an amazing sacrifice in which a body is offered without being slain, and blood is offered without being shed. Let your heart then be an altar. Let your heart be an altar. Then, with full confidence in God, present your body for sacrifice. God desires not death, but faith. God thirsts not for blood, but for your self-surrender. God is appeased not by slaughter, but by the offering of your free will. And of course, we know that the Mass makes present again the one single sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross in an unbloody manner through the offering of bread and wine. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one 1- 205-271-2985. And you can always send us an email. We'd be happy to receive your email. The address is openline at ewtn.com. That's openline, all one word, at ewtn.com. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. We're talking faith, family, and fellowship with Father Wade Menezes. Pick up the phone and give us a call. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at ewtn.com. 
You know, we'd love to have you help us spread the word of the great work we're doing here at EWTN, and you can do so by becoming an EWTN media missionary. We'll give you everything that you need, all the materials that will help you spread the word right there in your own home parish about the great work here at EWTN. If you want to learn more, simply log on to EWTNmissionaries.com. That's EWTNmissionaries.com. Become a media missionary today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. First up today is Jeff in Superior, Wisconsin, listening on Real Presence Radio. Jeff, you are on with Father Wade. Hi, good afternoon. Privilege, and God bless you. Thank you for taking my call. I'm curious, is it appropriate for a Catholic priest, an ordained minister, Catholic priest, to approach a parishioner or a Catholic and tell them uh, that they believe they're doing something wrong or uh, attempt a correction to, for people to have a confession. Jeff, what have, what have you done? <laughs> Jeff, thank you so much for your call uh, from Superior, Wisconsin. We really appreciate your listenership. Um, the answer is... The short answer is yes, but there's, there would be some qualifiers I would want to set in place precisely so that the priest does it prudently. And uh, I've talked about this in the past on Open Line Tuesday. We looked at St. Thomas Aquinas's three hallmarks or three guideposts of giving someone fraternal correction. Uh, he defines fraternal correction, first of all, as an attempt to bring back a loved one back around to the fullness of truth a loved one who has somehow, some way, strayed from that truth, right? It's interesting that he calls fraternal correction an attempt to bring back the loved one back around to the fullness of truth. He doesn't call it a successful endeavor <laughs> right off the bat, because it, it may well not be a successful endeavor. So again, uh, a fraternal correction is an attempt to bring back a loved one back around to the fullness of truth, a loved one who is strayed. And a, and a parishioner for a priest is his loved one. He's in charge of that flock. He has a fatherly paternal care for his flock, each and every member, young, old, male, female. So uh, the three guideposts or three hallmarks from St. Thomas Aquinas is that we give the fraternal correction privately, charitably, and rarely. Uh, We do it privately so as not to embarrass them in front of other people. We do it charitably because charity is the queen of the virtues— Uh, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And we do it rarely because— if the person is an adult, they should not have to be approached about their sin every single time they're seen by the one giving the fraternal correction. That's taking the baseball bat method to it, and and you're just going to drive them away further. Um, You've let them know that there's a problem. You let them know that you want to help bring them back privately, charitably, and rarely. So I I find the third one interesting from St. Thomas. Uh, He says, we do it rarely if they're an adult. Why? Because they have to work out their own salvation, Uh, Philippians 2.12, with fear and trembling, and hopefully they'll do it with a filial fear and not a servile fear. I've talked about the two fears before in the past here on Open Line Tuesday. A filial fear is the, the fear that out of love doesn't want to disappoint the loving parent. That's the kind of fear we are to have of God. Not a servile fear, which is the fear of a punishment, 
uh, on the part of an underling uh, believing that a punishment is coming from his or her superior. Uh, that, that's a fear of punishment. We don't have a, a, a servile fear towards God. We have a filial fear of God from the Latin filius, which means son, or, or colloquially it means child or, or son or daughter. So privately, charitably, and rarely, a, a priest, if he has knowledge that something is legitimate in this person's life that's sinful matter, yes, I think he should follow those three hallmarks and try to bring his parishioner, his sheep, uh, back around to the fullness of truth. Jesus talks about the importance of leaving the 99 righteous ones to go in search of the one who has strayed. And he not only goes out and brings it back to the fold, to, to the remaining 99 who were faithful, who never strayed, he not only herds it back, say, or he herds it back, but not with his crook. He, he herds it back by placing it on his shoulder, his shoulders, and that shows a, a paternal love, a paternal caring. He's going to place it on his shoulders and bring it back. We have a beautiful image of this uh, in our Chapel of Divine Mercy in our sanctuary, huge portrait of the Good Shepherd uh, bringing back the, the lost sheep. So I, I hope that helps you out, but yes, a, a priest surely has a right to do that. He wants those receiving Holy Communion and his Masses to be receiving just that, Holy Communions, and not sacrilegious Communions. Does that kind of help you out there, Jeff? Yes, I um, you know, I'm 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 an ordinary Catholic and so, you know, I I make observations and I see other people and I keep the focus on myself, but I do pray for people who need correction, but I never told the priest to go do it. Well, and remember too, Jeff, uh upon all Christians remains the noble obligation to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to all. That's from the document on the apostleship of the lady from Vatican II. So you know, remember too that a layperson can privately, charitably, and rarely approach another layperson. Uh, a father can privately, charitably, and rarely approach his adult son who's left the faith. Uh, a mother and father together, as one unit, can approach their wayward daughter, adult daughter, who's who's wayward from the church, privately, charitably, and rarely. Again, we do it privately so as not to embarrass them in front of other people. We do it uh, charitably because charity is queen of the virtues, and we do it rarely because they're an adult. They gotta they gotta work out their own salvation and, and figure it out for themselves. But they have their loved ones who are helping guide them. So. Don't be shy yourself as a layperson. You say you're an or ordinary Catholic. I like to tell my listeners there's no such thing as an ordinary Catholic. I would like to think there's only such things as extraordinary Catholics, uh, kind of taking the cue from Mother Teresa of Calcutta, now saint. Uh, we're, we're called to do ordinary things daily in an extraordinary way. So if, if everybody followed that beautiful quote from St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, uh, we would have only extraordinary Catholics, and that'd be a, a wonderful thing. So you you have a, a great uh, heart, you have a, a great uh, evangelistic heart, I believe, to even call in and ask the question, which is a beautiful question because it serves as a as a great witness question to others. So thank you so much. Eight three three two eight eight E W T N is our toll free number. Grab one of these open phone lines at eight three three two eight eight. 3986. Michael is in the Queen City of Cincinnati, Ohio, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Michael, you are on with Father Wade. Father Wade, what a privilege to ask you this question about my baptismal priesthood. I'm 60 years old, and I've been an arborist, but I've also been a lay missionary in an ecumenical organization, and when we left the Catholic faith but returned, our family never felt like we connected to the mission of our parish. And it's like, how do we 
work with our local parish priests and the charisms of that community and what we've put together to really be effective with being missionary 24-7. Well, I'm so glad you're asking this question, because I want to invite you, if, if, if you haven't already begun to do so, I would like you to tune in to my brand new series on EWTN titled Work Out Your Salvation, The Theology of Faithfulness to Daily Duty. It's airing every Saturday evening on EWTN television uh, from 6.30 Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Eastern time until 7 p.m., uh, 5.30 to, to 6 p.m. Uh, Central time, which is the time zone I'm in, both at the Fathers of Mercy and here at EWTN. But it's a half hour every Saturday evening, and there's a couple of encores throughout the week. Uh, but that's when it, the new episode airs is on the Saturday evening. Work Out Your Salvation, The Theology of Faithfulness to Daily Duty. It's, it's a 10-part series. Each episode is only a half hour, so a total of five hours. Uh, the, the series is also available now through EWTNRC.com. That's Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com. And, you know, Michael, I've said many, many times two of my favorite quotes on how we can sanctify the present moment uh, within our own state and life and vocation, whether single, married, a consecrated priest, brother, sister, uh, doctor, farmer, lawyer. I've used the example of the homeschooling mother of four, um, the uh, divorced dad of three striving to live a chaste life, uh, the CEO in a high-rise office building, you know, the veterinarian of small animals, the veterinarian of large animals, you know. Uh, how can we sanctify the present moment? Well, God wants to make you a saint right there where you are. St. Jose Maria Escriba tells us, the founder of Opus Dei, and uh, St. Catherine of Siena, a great female doctor of the Church, she says, if you are what you should be, meaning on a daily basis, living God's sanctifying grace, if you are what you should be, a husband, a father, a priest, a diocesan or religious, uh, a, again, a homeschooling mom, a divorced dad of three, whatever, whatever it is, if you are what you should be, you will set the world ablaze, St. Catherine of Siena tells us. And I break down the Church's teaching on this very topic in a five-point plan, and this is the answer to your question. How do you live it daily, where you're at, according to your particular vocation state and life, both on the parish grounds, in the parish life, but also off the parish grounds, outside of the parish life? I'll tell you, this five-point plan, be faithful to your daily duty, be other-centered, as opposed to being self-centered, understand the reality of vice and virtue, practice and live the sacraments, and live a Trinitarian spirituality. All things offered to the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit, which is the same formula of the collect prayer at every single Mass we attend. Have you noticed that? Right after the penitential rite, when the priest says, let us pray, and he pauses to collect all the intentions that have been brought to that particular Mass, talk about the baptismal priesthood and why we come to church a few minutes early to make that particular world intention. Right after the penitential rite, when the priest celebrant says, let us pray, and he pauses, he's making a, a, a paused, during that pause, making a mental intention to collect all the intentions that have been brought to this particular Mass. And then through the praying of the collect prayer, because of the way it's worded, he's offering it all these intentions to the Father, through the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, when we leave that Mass with the final sending at the end of Mass, when the priest says, the Mass has ended, go in peace, or go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life, we're meant to take these graces from this liturgy we just attended back out into the midst of the modern world for the remaining 167 hours of the week that remain until we come back 
for the next Sunday obligation mass, obligatory, by the way, out of love, not out of fear. Every mass, uh, every Sunday mass is a holy day of obligation. It's good to be reminded of that. But we hear the word obligation today, and it kind of has a negative connotation in our English language, I think. Uh, But it's obligatory, not out of fear, but out of love. It fulfills the first three commandments, really, uh, which are about loving God, and and the remaining seven have to do with loving neighbor. But this five-point plan, be faithful to your daily duty, be other-centered, understand the reality of vice and virtue, practice and live the sacraments, and live a Trinitarian spirituality. This five-point plan that has two episodes, two half-hour episodes on each point for a total of ten episodes. I pray that this series, Work Out Your Salvation, The Theology of Faithfulness and Daily Duty, will truly assist you in doing exactly what it is you phrase in your question. How can I live my baptismal priesthood, not only on the parish grounds, within the parish life as an active parishioner, but off the grounds, whether it was in my former work as an arborist or other secular things I'm doing now as a source of income for me and my wife and my children, whatever it is, how can I live this? 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Congratulations going out to a longtime member of the EWTN Radio family. Covenant Network is celebrating their 26th year as an EWTN affiliate. They now serve the Midwest with over 40 stations in Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, and Oklahoma. Congratulations to Tony and Teresa Holman and the whole team there at Covenant Radio from your friends here at EWTN Radio. A couple of open lines for you and plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We head next to the Garden State of New Jersey. Ellen is listening on the EWTN app. Ellen, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, Father, when it comes to the second coming of Christ, what is the point, the purpose, of all of our sins being exposed to one another? Yeah, I give a series of uh, scriptural passages, uh, both Old and New Testament, regarding this very truth that the Church does teach. It's to show how everyone's individual life had a role in the economy of salvation— and how everything played out for both the saved and the reprobated, each one according to his or her own doing by their own exercise of their will, provided they had free will. There's some people that don't have free will. Um, So it's to show how that all plays out and how everybody had a role in that. Uh, I believe it's it's, uh, Psalm 37, if I'm not mistaken. When our God comes again, he does not keep silence. Jesus himself says in the Gospels, uh, what has been said in secret, I tell you solemnly, will be revealed from the housetops when he's referring to his second coming. And then there's other passages as well. In, In my 2017 book, The Four Last Things, A Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell, the Church's eschatology, four last things, three of which will apply to each one of us, death, judgment, heaven, or hell. It's important to remember that for those who are saved, 
okay, having everything revealed about their life will not be a source of embarrassment to them at all. Having their sins revealed will not be a source of embarrassment to them at all. Why? Because their life will show precisely how they welcomed God's mercy into their life. And that's, that's going to make them extremely joyful. It, it, it'll be a witness to others how they welcomed God's mercy into their lives. Now, for the reprobated, having their sins revealed at the end of time will be a source of embarrassment for them, shame for them. Why? Not so much because of the sins themselves. No, the Church Fathers tell us. Rather, it'll be a, a source of, of shame for them precisely because their lives will show how they rejected God's mercy. So the fact of the sins themselves, and whatever the sins were, in both the case of the saved and in the case of the reprobated, the damned, by their own doing, um, that's, that the sins are secondary. What's primary is how uh, we welcomed or rejected God's mercy. That's, that's the main thing to remember. Uh, if you haven't gotten a copy of The Four Last Things, I, I would urge you to get a copy. I explain this, this very answer in fuller detail uh, in, in, in this very regard about the importance of that. It, it is 1037, by the way, that says, God predestines no one to hell. God predestines no one to go to hell. For this to happen, a willful turning away from God, a mortal sin, is necessary and persistence in it until the very end. In the Eucharistic liturgy, the Holy Mass, and in the daily prayers of her faithful, Holy Mother Church implores the mercy of God, who does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's from one of the prefaces of the Mass. And then also we read this from... Um, Eucharistic prayer number one, what's also known as the Roman canon. Father, accept this offering from your whole family. Grant us your peace in this life. Save us from final damnation and count us among those you have chosen. So there you have it. I mean, the ball's in our court. And, and uh, having everything revealed at the second coming of Christ isn't so much about the sins. Again, that's, that's secondarily. It's about the acceptance or the rejection of the mercy of God. And it's also about showing, I would say this is primary too, about how everybody's individual life, this is what Scripture says when it tells us he will make you as though gods. We each have an important, we're not gods, but he will make make us as though gods because he gives us our own free will to, to choose. Hopefully it'll be a, a, a choosing based on authentic love, a, a, an ordered moral love, and not an inordinate immoral love. So he calls us to love, he calls us to choose, he calls us to know through our intellect and, and to choose through our will. So these are important things to embrace now. Uh, this is the day of salvation. This is the day of the Lord. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 6. I love that passage. This is the day of salvation. This is the day of the Lord. What Mother Angelica would call the sacrament, lowercase s, the sacrament of the present moment. It's the here and now, and what are you going to do with it? There's a beautiful uh, quotation in, uh, in St. Faustina's diary, Divine Mercy in My Soul, she says, see no moment as monotonous, because every moment can make you a great, great saint. Even the former greatest sinner, the time is now for conversion. The time is now to accept God's great mercy and to become a saint. So uh, if you haven't gotten the four last things, I would urge you to get that. I, I, I 
explain all of this in, in great detail, Alan. Thank you so much for a great question and your, for your call today from New Jersey and for your listenership. We really appreciate it. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. We've got a couple of open phone lines and plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Father Wade is itching to tell a squirrel story. Yes. So I'm going to acquiesce and I'm going to allow Father Wade to tell his squirrel story. Today uh, is May 2nd, which is the great universal feast day of St. Athanasius, bishop and doctor of the church, one of the 36 doctors and a fearless doctor at that, and a fearless early church bishop. And every time this feast day rolls around, I think of a squirrel that we had at our general at house in Auburn, Kentucky, about, oh gosh, maybe about four or five years ago now at least, if not a little longer. But he was around for two years. And for whatever reason, he loved our outdoor rubber mat that had this uh, synthetic material on it, like to wipe your shoes before you enter the house and before you enter the building. He loved clawing at that particular uh, material. So much so that whenever we walked outside, he would not leave. He would stay right there, which is uncommon for a squirrel because they're usually afraid of humans. They'll take off. And he would kind of hiss at us, you know. <laughs> so I started calling him Athanasius because he was fearless, okay? <laughs> the fearless squirrel that I named Athanasius. So while we're on this topic, just a little, a little bit about Athanasius. And I, I do love this great early church bishop and doctor of the church. He's one of the four great doctors of the Eastern Church. Uh, Athanasius defended the true faith against the Arian heresy, which denied the full divinity of Jesus Christ. Uh, a devoted bishop of Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, for 46 years, Athanasius was repeatedly exiled for his defense of the creed of the Council of Nicaea from 325. While in exile, Athanasius discovered a deep kinship with the great ascetic Anthony of the Desert. After Anthony's death, Athanasius recorded the hermit's life story in a now-famous work appropriately titled simply The Life of Anthony. This work proved to be uh, a, one of the foundational or fundamental text for monasticism in both the East and the West for the life of the church. Uh, Athanasius died in 373 and was one of the first non-martyrs, so-called confessors of the faith, meaning we confess the faith. He's one of the first non-martyrs or confessors uh, to be venerated as a saint of the Catholic Church. I said earlier he's one of the, the four great Eastern fathers of the church, along with St. Basil the Great, St. Gregory Nazianzen, and St. John Chrysostom. And of course, mentioning the four Eastern Fathers, we also mentioned the four Western Fathers. They are St. Ambrose, his spiritual directee, St. Augustine, uh, St. Jerome, the great scripture scholar, and St. Gregory the Great. So there you go. Uh, fearless Athanasius, both the actual bishop and doctor and the Kentucky squirrel. <laughs> Okay, remember, the next time you get frustrated with me, I let you tell your squirrel story. All right. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Give us a call at 833-288-3986. Katrina writes in, I know of a family member whose parents are silent about their son's sin of adultery. What are the ways that one could aid some person to overcome that sin, and how does one tell them the facts lovingly? Yeah, great question. You know, uh, whenever it deals with the sexual mores, uh, it can be a very, very tender subject. And uh, we got to do so again, uh, privately, so as not to embarrass them in front of other people, charitably, because charity demands it as queen of the virtues. And uh, rarely, if they're an adult, what, what's rarely for 2023? I'd say every three to four months, we're bound to give the person a little uh, reminder that they're living 
uh, wrongly. They're not living in a way that is pleasing to Almighty God in what has been revealed to us through sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium to live an upright moral life, to indeed pursue uh, the good, the true, and the beautiful huh, in, in concrete daily actions. Share number 1803 of the Catechism with your loved one. With, with Hopefully these parents would do this with their grown son who's living an adulterous lifestyle. I love 1803. It's one of my favorite numbered paragraphs in the Universal Catechism, quoting scripture and tradition. You know, uh, virtue and virtuous living is pursuance of the good, the true, and the beautiful in concrete daily actions. Uh, with all five of the bodily senses and the four faculties of the soul, these nine great gifts that are part of the, the body-soul composite of the human person. Uh, we can go through all nine and see how the person who's living an adulterous lifestyle is not employing those nine beautiful gifts of the body-soul composite to a life of grace, but rather to a life uh, of, of vice, a life of vice as opposed to a life of virtue. And let us remember, too, for the parents' sake, um, there's nine ways of being an accessory to another's sin, uh, wittingly or unwittingly, uh, granted, but there's nine ways that the Church has taught in her tradition that we can be an accessory to another sin. Now, now this particular question that she asked, Jack, I, I, I'm sure the parents aren't—the parents want to do the opposite. They want to pull the, the grown son out of his adultery, but that said, it's still a teachable moment. Uh, the Church's traditional listing of nine ways that be, we can be an accessory to another sin, either wittingly or unwittingly, is by counsel— giving the person counsel to partake of the sin, by command, commanding them to do the sin, uh, by consenting to the fact that they're doing the sin, so by consent, by provocation, by provoking them to do the sin. Number five is by praise or flattery. In other words, they're doing the sin, and you give praise or flattery about the sin and the fact that they're doing it. Uh, number six is by concealment. Okay, you keep it, you keep it concealed. Number seven is by partaking of the sinful action with the person. Number eight is by silence. And by number nine is by defending the sinful action of the other. So by counsel, by command, by consent, by provocation, by praise or flattery, by concealment, by partaking, by silence, and by defense of the sinful action itself. These nine, by the way, are... are uh, found on the doctrinal side of the Fathers of Mercy Examination of Conscience and Catholic Doctrine brochure. I'm holding it up to our Facebook live feed right now for those of you watching the show live on YouTube, EWTN YouTube's page, or uh, EWTN Radio's Facebook page. You can see me holding it up, and if you go to fathersofmercy.com, you can print out the Examination of Conscience and Catholic Doctrine uh, brochure as a PDF document right there on your home printer, ready to print out. And it's a it's a great examination of conscience on one side with a series of questions that comb through the Ten Commandments, as well as the uh, major tenets of Catholic Christian doctrine on the other side, where I just got those nine ways of being an accessory to another sin. So again, you know, he's an adult. This 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 grown son of theirs is an adult. He's got to work out his own salvation, but. Privately and charitably and rarely, maybe every three to four months is what's meant by rarely today, I would say, in 2023, the parents can try to plant a seed, invite, you know, invite him to live, to begin living at first chastely with this person, presuming he's living with the adulterous person. Um, uh, in other words, maybe his, his first marriage is, is uh, failed and he has a civil divorce, but he's not uh, with the benefit of an annulment to contract a marriage with this, this second person. So technically he's committing adultery with the second person, precisely because there is annul no annulment in place. Whatever the case is, you, you say adultery, adultery can be carried out in a multiplicity of, of ways, depending on the individual's case. Um, and those are just two that I just said, two examples that I just said. But regardless, uh, we can try to plant a seed 
uh, begin by telling them, look, as long as you're living chastely with her, you can still receive communion and, and confession if you have the intent to want to get out of this relationship. Uh, maybe they've bought a house together already, so they're tied down on the financial plane of it all. But the fact is they can still separate into separate bedrooms. They can still um, forego the, the marital act, which isn't a marital act. It's an adulterous act if they're not married. They can forego that live chastely while they're making the, the mortgage on the house, move into separate bedrooms. There's, there's a different list of things they can do to show what the church would call goodwill, what Pope Francis would call showing goodwill, to want to slowly but surely extract oneself from the sinful situation. And this is what the parents could witness to the son about. But again, it should be done privately, charitably, and rarely. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Be sure to join us for the Holy Rosary on EWTN Radio every day at 5.30 a.m. Eastern with Mother Angelica and the Poor Clares of Perpetual Adoration from the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament in Hansville, and at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time with Father Benedict Rochelle and Simonetta, all for you right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Helen in Peoria, Illinois, listening on Covenant Radio. Uh, Helen, you're on with Father Wade Menezes. Good afternoon. Nice to speak with you. Thank you, Helen, uh, for your call in today. We really appreciate it. Great. Um, My husband and I are... We've been raised Catholic. I actually went through Catholic high school and college. Mm-hmm. And um, my husband doesn't believe that there is such a thing as demonic possession. Uh, he thinks there's a Satan, but he's just stuck in hell, and that's where he is. Uh, but he doesn't come around and, and, uh, or any of his demons come around and invade people and, and possess them. Um, he says that's just horror stories that we've been seeing on television, and it's all made up. I just thought it a good answer for that, because I know we speak about demonic possession in the Bible, and of course we have exorcists in the Catholic Church, so... Yeah, those are the... You, you, just to took, those. you just took the two things out of my mouth that I was going to tell you to share with him, and that is the very uh, exorcisms that Jesus performs in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and secondarily, uh, the Church is teaching on the very truth and existence of Satan, which you're, you said your husband does believe in the existence of Satan, but that he doesn't have power of, Rome, of, of being on earth and, and uh, uh, doing ill on earth. You know, what does Second Peter tell us? Uh, uh, stay sober and alert. Uh, your opponent, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Uh, resist him, solid in your faith. That's from Second uh, Peter chapter 5. Um, so the devil is real. Your husband believes that. He just doesn't believe that the devil can inflict ills, uh, possession or otherwise, and have an, 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 uh, an evil effect on the reality of, of earth and the inhabitants of the human persons on earth. I would recommend your husband read Monsignor Stephen uh, Rossetti's book, Diary of an American Exorcist, that came out two, two and a half years ago or so. Diary of an American Exorcist. Uh, it's a quick read. It shows you the truth and reality of possession. Again, uh, Monsignor Stephen Rossetti, R-O-S-S-E-T-T-I, Diary of an American Exorcist. And in- interestingly enough, I'm, I'm glad you, you asked this very question because it reminds me of a trailer I just saw day before yesterday 
that uh, a friend of mine who works at Catholic Answers brought to my attention. He says, he says, watch this. It's it's it gives a true account of what we as Catholics believe about possession without all of the Hollywood sensationalism, and it's the trailer for the movie Nefarious. It's out right now in selected theaters. Yeah, we've seen it. Yeah, very and, well uh, done. It's very well done. It gives a, a true account of a demonic possession without all the Hollywood sensationalism, Helen. That's something you might want to sit down and watch the trader with your husband, and maybe if the if it's in limited theaters on limited dates, so if it is in your area, maybe go see it with your husband. Um, and then Monsignor Rossetti's book, Diary of American Ex- Exorcist, would be very good to see. Uh, to read, excuse me. And also, uh, just pulling up at catholic.com or ew10.com in Frequently Asked Questions section uh, on uh, all the instances where Jesus performs an exorcism in the four Gospels, and write down those citations for your husband to read those accounts of Scripture and encourage him to make, encourage him to make them uh, his, his meditation for the day. You know, not that we want to have an inordinate focus on the reality of possession. That wouldn't be healthy either. But given your husband has a stumbling block in this regard, that's something that he would want to definitely take a look at and meditate on. Also, the section in the Catechism on the devil, and the, at which, which tells us clearly that the devil can have an influence on earth. Uh, the, the devil or demon is a fallen angel who sinned against God by refusing to accept his reign, especially when becoming man. Satan or the devil, the evil one, and the other demons were at first good angels created naturally good who became evil by their own doing. Uh, the book of Revelation shows extreme, extreme levels of demonic influence on earth prior to the second coming of Christ. So I don't know how your husband can see some of the social ills of, of today's reality of the world, uh, not only politically, uh, wars taking place and whatnot, but even socially and culturally, especially in westernized countries, and see the evils that are taking place that, that are direct assaults on the innate dignity of the human person. You know, it's interesting, the first... Um, the first three to five centuries, we had the great Christological heresies against the second person of the Trinity, the Son. Then later on, uh, just past the year 1000 into the 1200s, we had some of the Gnostic heresies from about the 5th century up to about the 1200s. We saw them starting to phase out. The Gnostic heresies against, really, the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Now, with secular humanism and relativism, uh, and, and what uh, Benedict XVI called uh, 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 the, the dictatorship of relativism, uh, we're really seeing an assault on, on creation, for example, on the innate dignity of the human person made in the image and likeness of God. Male and female, he made them. In his own image and likeness, he made them. Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27 tells us. So this is really a direct assault on the Father, <laughs> creation itself, on the first person of the Trinity. So I posit this rhetorically. Once you've had three major historical uh, phases of the world that have attacked the three divine persons the, in the order of the Son, the Spirit, and now the Father, once you've had major phases of human history attack all three divine persons, what's left but the second coming of Christ? Now, I'm not saying the second coming of Christ is going to take place tomorrow. I have no idea when it's going to take place. I just find it interesting that we've had now, truly so, uh, these three phases of attacks on the three divine persons, and we're seeing it fiercely played out now uh, against creation, which is really a heresy against the Father. 
Uh, so, you know, your husband needs to look at the reality of these things, and I would encourage him to do so. But a good start would be to read the, 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 the gospel accounts of true exorcisms that Jesus himself performed, and secondarily, uh, Monsignor Rossetti's book. 833-288-EWTN. Also, Helen, one other resource for you. We have a brand new program on Saturday mornings called The Spirit World with Debbie Giorgiani and Adam Bly, a uh, demonologist in the Diocese of Pittsburgh, and that airs at... 11 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Central Time, Saturday mornings on EWTN Radio. Barbara's in Louisville, Kentucky. She is listening to EWTN Radio on Holy Family Radio. Barbara, you're on with Father Wade. Hey, Father Wade. It's good to talk with you. I saw you at St. Louis Bertrand just a few weeks ago. Oh, great. Thank you so much for coming, Barbara. Good. I really enjoyed it, um, and I have a couple of your books. My curtain problem, certain current problem is a brother-in-law um, who has been in a Catholic home for 35 years, uh, was raised in a Baptist nominal home. Um, his mom was baptized. I think his dad might have been, but he never caught that faith enough to say, I want to do that. And living in a house with the Catholic all these years, I'm the sister-in-law, and it's like he's not really listening to his wife. She's just He's a great guy, but he needs to be baptized. When God's ready, but he's 73 years old and he's in the hospital, how do we get him off the dime? Well, he's, he's got to want it himself, Barbara. I mean, it's wonderful that you want to evangelize him. And have you done that proactively? Have you had a, a private and charitable conversation with him about, hey, have you ever thought about baptism? Is it something you think you would want to do? And, and if so, I can help walk you through those appropriate steps. Uh, you, you're saying he was never baptized. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And his wife is a Catholic, is that correct? Yes. Okay. So he knows a little bit about the Catholic faith, just from having been married to a, a, a Catholic, and so he knows enough about the Catholic faith. You yourself are a Catholic, a former Baptist. Did I understand that correctly? He, he was a former. His, oh. his mother was Baptist, so oh, okay. he had it in growing up. Okay, but he was never baptized as a Baptist, because if he was baptized right. as a Baptist— if he was baptized as a Baptist validly with the true Trinitarian formula at whatever age, uh, the Catholic Church, and he had proof of that, the Catholic Church could easily just accept his Baptist baptism that was valid. Uh, but you're saying he was never baptized. So I would just, you know, meet with him privately and very charitably there in the in the hospital, if not in his room, maybe in, in one of the sitting areas if he's able to go out. Well, I guess not, because you said it's a hospital, not, not a nursing home. I was going to say maybe one of the nice sitting areas or something, maybe even outside if it's a nice, nice weather, to go out and and meet with him privately and charitably and just say, you know, uh, it's been really heavy on my heart in a very beautiful, joyful way to present this to you, what, I want, what I'm about to share, and that is, have you ever thought about becoming Catholic? Because if you have, I would like to walk you through that. And if you haven't, I've got things I'd like to share with you about this wonderful possibility. Uh, especially given your health situation and so forth. that You yourself are saying that there's natural virtue there. He's a great guy. You yourself love him as, as his sister-in-law. You, you've seen virtue in his life. You see him as a virtuous man and that you want to encourage him that even more. And so just take those baby steps with him and walk with him and just simply ask him the question, have you ever thought of this, becoming a Catholic? And then see what his answer is and walk him slowly from there. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us on behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Charles Beery, call screener Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. 
I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch. Until then, God bless.